Blog Talk Radio. Gonna tell you a little bedtime tale, legend it will become. Burgers flying out the door, sail on. Two for one, no concern for the future. Living for today. Fast food bite on your way, lay it all to waste. The masses are afflicted now. Moo, mad cow. Mad cow. Mad cow, mad cow, line dance song. Hey, Turnbuckle Turmoil fans and Sangai Nation, welcome to the show here on another Friday afternoon. Some show notes for you if you were looking for some professional wrestling in the next few days. Tonight, WCWO running at the Outlaw Arena in Indianapolis at 1151 South Kentucky Avenue. Midget Warriors is in Indianapolis tonight, and that is at the Marion County Fairgrounds. FGW in Hamilton, Ohio. APW in Chester, South Carolina. You have uh, SH Wrestling in Canton, Georgia. AWA in Theodore, Alabama. Tomorrow night, MPG Pro in Greenfield, Indiana. PWF in Houston, Texas. Midget Warriors back in Indianapolis tomorrow night. That one featuring Shauna Reed, my arch nemesis. Russell Club is back in Boise in front of live fans for the first time in a year and a half. ICW in Millville, New Jersey. BCW in Mulberry, Arkansas, and UWC happening in Wrightstown, New Jersey, tomorrow night. Without any further ado, though, I want to welcome our guest to the show. Unbelievably, it is his first time here, but we are pleased to have him now. Johnny Proof, welcome to the program. Thank you for being with us. Thank you, Sangai. Man, it's, uh, it's great to be here. Um, i got to say, man, what an honor and a uh... A true privilege it is for uh, for you to have me on your show right now. So congratulations on that. Oh well, well, thank you, and we are honored to have you on here. How it took this long to get you, I don't know. Um, <laughs> Things happen. But I'm glad I'm here, man. Honestly, all seriousness, it's great to be a part of this. Well, since it is your first time with us, I'm going to lead you off with our traditional first timer question. What got you into the business of professional wrestling? Ooh, I'd say, I mean, I have to basically, you know, give credit to Hulk Hogan. Um, if not for, you know, watching him as a kid and just seeing how, how crazy he was and how much of, you know, an influence he was to kids back then, you know, he got me hooked, you know. Um, just a big muscle-down guy just, you know, talking to us kids, you know. Like, he wasn't talking to anybody else but the kids at that time. So, you know, he uh, he got me into it, man. And, um you know, it kind of just drove me to keep watching it, and I, I was hooked ever since then. So, so yeah, I got to I got to thank the holster for for getting me into it. Now, have you actually ever thanked Hulk Hogan at any point? Have you crossed paths with the holster? No, yeah, I've actually never crossed paths with him. Uh, unfortunately, you know, I've crossed paths with a lot of you know bigger names in the business and um, a lot of the guys I grew up watching. But uh, but yeah, Hulk Hogan's never been one. So. Uh, hopefully someday, you never know, you know, he's he's still doing pretty well for himself, doesn't seem like he's, you know, slowing down, so there's always a chance that, you know, I could run into him somehow, some way down the line and be able to actually thank him. 
He does have that Hulk Hogan's Beach House in Tampa, Florida you could always visit. That's right, yeah. I've seen a lot of people, a lot of friends of mine, too, have gone there, and i got to interact with him, too. So, so, yeah, it's always an option, too. I've only been to Florida once in my life, so maybe it's another reason to head down there. Wouldn't hurt anything. Not at all. Now, I know that when you decided to train to be a professional wrestler and get into the business, you went to one of the more renowned professional wrestling schools anywhere, that being the Harley Race Academy. Um, Harley Race, of course, as he used to tell us, was the greatest wrestler on God's green earth, and he trained a lot of great, great talent in his day. Uh, the Harley Race Academy still going strong under the leadership of his son, Leland. What led you to the Harley Race Academy, and what was your experience training there? Yeah, I love my time out there, man. Um, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie. It was a lot of ups and downs. It wasn't all, you know, peaches and cream. Um, but you know, what, what kind of led me to go out there was, um, you know, I was, I was in college at the time, actually going for uh, my bachelor's degree. But uh, you know, um, while I was going to college, my dad unfortunately passed away um, in the middle of the night due to a heart attack. And um, you know, it was kind of one of those things, man. Like it kind of just put life into perspective. Like you know, if you don't kind of just chase after some dreams or you know do what you want in life, things you know, you might not get the chance, you know, you can take it for granted and one day you're here, one day you're not. And so that kind of really pushed me to, you know, kind of go for my dream of being a professional wrestler. Um, so I was hoping to, you know, kind of just turn, you know, a dark part of my life into, you know, something, you know, better. And so I really got serious about, you know, kind of, you know, training better. You know, I was always, you know, into sports and stuff. So I wasn't, I knew I'd, you know, I knew I had the athletic background to be able to, you know, at least have the cardio shape, but I definitely needed to, you know, add, you know, muscle to my frame. That was the thing I tried to work on before heading out there. Uh, but I looked around, you know, I looked around at a lot of different schools, um, even some in Colorado here. And, uh, you know, the one that was closest to Colorado, I didn't want to go too far. You know, I, I didn't want to move too far from the state because, of course, you know, my family was here and we had just gone through, you know, a traumatic experience. And so um, it wasn't like I left right away either. It took me about maybe like a year and a half to finally actually make the decision to leave and pursue that. But, um you know, and I ended up doing it. I ended up looking up some schools and found Harley's out in Missouri and figured Missouri's not too far from Colorado. So if I need to come back home, you know, it's, you know, not too, too far of a trip, maybe like a day. And so, uh, so yeah, I made the choice to, you know, kind of pack up and move out there kind of just on a, on a whim. Um, I had gone out there before for a tryout. So I did, uh, you know, touch base there before I actually made the decision to move and, um, had a tryout. Uh, they had actually a show too that weekend, so I, you know, I went to the tryout first, and then I went to the show after, and had a great time, man. I had some, you know, some great feedback um, from uh, from the trainers and from the people who were watching me um, go through my tryout. And um, I don't know if you ever heard the name Daniel Palmer, but he was a really, um, really good star um, down at WLW at the time. He was, he had come up through the program there. You know, he come up from the school and had been working shows and made a good name for himself. Um, he was, you know, one of Harley's right hand man. Um, you know, even after all that, you know, after Harley was done with the, you know, kind of working in the business as much as he was, you know, when his, um, his health became an issue, like Daniel Palmer was there for him still. So Daniel's a really great guy. He helped me out a lot when I was there. Um, even allowed me to, you know, when I first moved there to kind of stay in his apartment until I had a place of my own. So yeah, man, I really had a great time just, um, you know, getting to know him and kind of getting, getting, you know, to, 
to know the school, the area. Um, he was a really big help for that. So that was like that was a really big um, thing for me to do at the time, just to kind of go out there on a whim. But he helped me out a lot with that. And when you have the pedigree that you do, and you're coming out of the Harley Race Academy, do you think that alone, without any other uh, resume or uh, qualifications or anything, opened some doors for you just because people knew Harley Race, they knew what he was like as a trainer, or do you think that you pretty much had to go through the same process as any other rookie at that point? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it's um, it's all situational. It's all basically you you know who you talk to really because they're you know I didn't I mean I obviously I did want to let people know I came from there, but it's not like it's something I was like oh yeah I came from here so I deserve a spot. You know I didn't want it to seem that way. Like I wanted to always make sure that um, wherever I went, uh, wherever I tried to go to for you know different companies that I was willing to work my way up. You know like I'm not coming in here thinking I'm the top dog and I deserve any you know special kind of you know place on the card because I came from Harley's. Um, I know that does, you know, carry a lot of weight to it, though. So, um, you know, certain, certain people will see it that way, and unfortunately some don't, you know. Uh, why they don't, I have no idea, because you think that, you know, you go to a reputable school, you graduate from there, you work for the company, you think that that's, you know, kind of enough to get you at least in, you know, in with certain companies. But um, unfortunately, it honestly wasn't with some. Uh, but there were others that were, you know. There was others that were like, wow, you came from Harley's, and, you know, it must have been a great experience, and they really were – you know, they're really um, into, like, I guess maybe that era. Maybe some people don't appreciate that era as much, you know. But, um, you know, for me and for other guys that do, um, you know, there's there's not too many other places you can go and not too other better minds you can learn from than Harley Race. You also have a background in baseball. And baseball, of course, is a sport that uh, we don't get a ton of pro wrestlers from, but there have been over the years, people that transitioned from baseball to wrestling, uh, the most famous example being Randy Savage, I would think. Yeah. Did you see anything in your baseball background that was instrumental in your preparation from going from that into professional wrestling? Well, I guess I never really thought about that. That's a good question. Um I mean, like I said, like I mentioned earlier, you know, just having any kind of athletic background, um, period, I think is helpful uh, for professional wrestling. You know, there's, I saw a ton of guys going to Harley's who didn't, you know, play any sports at all growing up. They, you know, didn't do really anything athletically, and they came in expecting to learn and, you know, be able to wrestle, like, right away. And that's just not the, the case, you know. Um, but baseball does teach a lot of really good skills that you need for wrestling, you know, agility, power, speed. Um, all those things are incorporated in baseball, you know, so your body has to be, um, you know, kind of fine-tuned and in shape to, to play the sport of baseball, and it also has to be the same for wrestling. So um, I know that doesn't really correlate, you know, what you do in baseball into the ring necessarily, but, you know, just having any kind of um, athleticism, you know, training your body, having that muscle memory, um, just putting your body through those aches and pains, uh, I think that's most important to, to kind of make the transition, you know, to have, know your body is going to be having to go through bumps and bruises and you're going to have to push yourself through it. Now, from the people that you have done shows with and have been around personally, if you had to put together your all-star baseball team out of independent professional wrestlers, what's your lineup? 
Ooh, wow, okay, that's a good one. So you're talking about just one through nine, right? Position. Yeah. Ooh, man, okay, well, um, starting off pitching, I'd probably put sign guy as a pitcher because I just have a, I have a feeling that you can just throw the heater pretty well. So you might have, like, at least close to upper 90s uh, fastball. So I'd probably put you as a pitcher. Um, <laughs> uh, aside from that, ooh, let's see. My leadoff hitter. Oh, man, a leadoff hitter, that can go several ways. But I think if I had to pick one leadoff hitter, um, I'd probably pick a guy named, uh, I'm not sure the name, Don, uh, Dante Smiley, but he uh, works out of Texas. Um, he's, man, he's a freak of nature athletic-wise. He's, like, super strong. He's probably a little bit lighter than I am, um, maybe about the same size, like, height-wise, but a little smaller. But dude is just crazy strong, you know, for his size. And, uh I think he'd be like a perfect leadoff hitter because he's, you know, got the size and the strength and speed, basically. So even if he doesn't hit, you know, crank one out of the park, he's going to probably beat out, a, you know, an infield single or something like that for you. Um, batting second, I'd probably put, um, hmm, I'd probably put uh, maybe Joe Hennig, who I trained with out at Harley's. Um, great talent, great guy. I think he could probably, you know, hit the ball pretty well. Um, batting third. Probably put um, probably uh, Ted DiBiase Jr. batting third. Um, he was a great guy, big strong dude, so he could probably hit in the third spot. Um, batting cleanup, um, I probably put my guy no named Junsu. He worked out of here in Colorado. He's a really really great dude too, but big and strong. I think he'd probably be um, you know a good hitter in the fourth spot there. And um, hmm, let's see who else. I'd probably put uh, a guy named Adrian Matthews. Uh, you might know he's he's out of Colorado too, or was. Um, he's a great guy too, good strong dude. So we put him at the five. Uh, putting on the six. Let's see here, who would I put at six? I'd probably put uh, buddy of both you and I. I'd probably put J D Mason at the six. Um, at the seven, I'd probably I got to throw myself in there, I guess, right? I put myself at the seven. And then uh, maybe on the eighth spot. I uh, put a guy named Tony Morales out there. He's from Colorado, too. Good dude. And then maybe at the nine, I put a guy, another good buddy of mine named uh, Cody Devine, who's a real solid dude, too. But that'd probably be my lineup. Solid lineup. And hopefully I wouldn't have to do the intentional fall to the rib cage if someone got too close. <laughs> That's what I want you on the team for. Well, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't not do it. I'm just saying hopefully it wouldn't come to that. <laughs> I know your game if you need to, so that's why you're at the pitching spot for me. I, I gotcha, I gotcha. <laughs> now, when you relocated up to the Pacific Northwest, one of the promotions you eventually traveled to was Northwest Pro, and one of your very first opponents at Northwest Pro was J.B. Moonshine. Uh, he is a former Northwest Pro heavyweight champion. He was a multiple-time blue-collar wrestling tag team champion. He's held the uh, BCW heavyweight championship. He's held titles at CPW, World Travels, sports entertainer here in the Pacific Northwest. What were your impressions of our co-host, which he is, you know, as of about a year ago, J.B. Moonshine. J.B. Moonshine, man. We had some battles. Um, 
one of my toughest opponents definitely out there in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, it was it was tough to get past him, you know. We had um, it took a, it took a while for me to get over that hump, and it took a few matches for me to finally uh, get the better of JB. But but yeah, I really enjoyed our battles, you know. Um, I knew every time going in with him, it would be a war. Um, it'd be something different every time, you know. I never expected the same thing from him. I think both of us um, kind of learned from our mistakes in each match, you know. So every time we came back with each other, um, we knew kind of you know what to learn from from the last experience, and so. So, yeah, it was always something new, and it was always something challenging. And, um, you know, I was able to finally get past him and uh, defeat him for the NWP Championship, and that was one of my, um, you know, really great accomplishments out there um, in the Pacific Northwest. And um, I'll always, I'll definitely always, you know, keep those battles close to heart because those were some of the most intense ones I had. And, you know, even in all my experience, those were, uh, you know, some of the toughest battles I had were against JB. So I definitely respect him as an opponent, opponent and, um, you know, never know. Maybe we can... Tangle up again someday. I don't know if you've been paying strict attention to J.B. Moonshine or not in recent times, but he's dropped roughly 35 pounds and has become a body guy doing the weights. You see him backstage lifting the dumbbells. He's transformed the body. He's a lot quicker than he was when you were wrestling him. I think you'll be wrestling a very different J.B. Moonshine the next time you share a ring with him. That's good to hear. You know, it's always good to hear when guys are trying to better themselves. Um, and that's one thing I just, you know, hopefully hopefully I was an influence on that because, you know, I always try to challenge guys to just, you know, get in better shape, you know, make the product better, make yourself better, you know. So I'm not saying I, I deserve any credit for that, but, you know, I think that – um you know, being in the ring against guys who are, you know, more in shape than you or just putting in more work from you, that that uh, really helps you kind of, you know, um, move forward in the business too. It helped me. You know, there was other guys I worked with that were, you know, a lot bigger than me, a lot better shape, and that's always pushed me too to just keep active in the gym and to keep pushing myself to, to get, you know, faster, stronger, leaner, whatever it is, you know. Um, there's always that challenge when you go against a guy that's, um, that has, you know, the advantage on you, and that, that pushes you to, to be better than those guys and to, to actually get over that hump and to, you know, beat them in the ring. So so all the props in the world to JB for that. You know, I'm, I'm really glad to hear that. He is also upgraded from the overalls to a denim-style spandex singlet. So he's got not only a new body but also a new look that he's going out there with. So... Maybe you have influenced J.B. Moonshine a bit. Nice. Well, hopefully he's drinking something better than that moonshine, but it doesn't sound like it. That's the that's next he's step. He's still the drinking the moonshine. I had to warn him a couple of times last week. <laughs> well, that's not a big surprise there. You know, that's, that's probably the one thing that won't change for J.B., but, you know, maybe in time you never know. Stranger things have happened. <laughs> exactly. One of the things that is always important to a professional wrestler, and if you wrestled in the Pacific Northwest over the last week, it became extremely important, that being hydration. It's oftentimes hard to stay properly hydrated, especially when you're a professional athlete like wrestlers are. I know it's uh, something that can affect your performance if, you don't stay properly hydrated. What is your 
go-to plan for making sure you're always hydrated on show days? Oh, yeah, I mean, that's basically nothing you know, ground uh, breaking or earth shaking here, but you know, just um, always carrying water with you. You know, um, never be without. Like always, at least have a couple water bottles or Gatorades or something um, in your in your bag with you. You know, in your in your gear bag. Um, just always be prepared. You know, because sometimes you go to shows and there's not access to water. Maybe there's not concessions. You know, you think there's going to be concessions. Do you think that someone um, you know, in charge of the shows, and I have drinks for you guys, but that's not always the case, as you know. So, um, yeah, just you know, just kind of not uh, taking that for granted. You know, just always pack ahead. Um, even if you have to stop on the way, you know, there's plenty of convenience stores on the way. Just stop and get yourself something to drink real quick. Um, get yourself another one for later. So I always make sure I have you know enough for be- uh, before and after the show uh, to make sure that I'm always hydrated. Yeah, I once saw a five-year vet quit the business over a $1 bottle of water at the concession stand. So I think that's very solid advice to always have your own stash. Yeah, I mean, if there's if there's some at the show, great, you know, but if there's not, then what are you going to do, you know? Then you're maybe having to bum some water off somebody, and then, you know, you get sick or something. That's not always good, a good scenario either, so... So, yeah, just always have your own stuff, you know? Like, don't, don't rely on anybody else uh, to take care of your body. Solid advice. Now, speaking of people's own bodies, as we know, wrestling can be a very hazardous occupation. There's always going to be injuries involved, being a full-contact combat sport. Uh, Some of those injuries are much scarier than others. Sometimes they aren't as serious as they seem on the surface. Sometimes they are much more so. I know that you've been on shows where some scary incidents have happened. What are some of the scarier things that you've seen on shows? Oh, man, with anything, we haven't really been a part of anything that have been, that have been like viral videos, you know, where you see these guys doing something crazy and like really, really hurting themselves. Um, I've never had to see that live, thankfully, you know, because that's always the, the thing you don't want to see. Um, you know, I did see a show out there um, in Wa- in Washington State while I was out there where a guy got dropped on his head. You know, it was just a, I don't know, I think it was a maybe like a, a Samoan drop or something that went wrong. But, uh, yeah, some guy got just dropped on his head, and, you know, he had to roll the ring for a while and kind of recover. He was able to actually finish the match, you know, um, uh, somehow. So I thought he was done. I thought, you know, oh, man, we need to call this match, you know, but – but he wanted to get back in. He worked through it, and thankfully he was fine. But, um, but yeah, that's probably the worst that I've seen is, you know, just the guy getting dropped on his head. And um, that's probably the worst that's happened to me um, as well, you know, is I got I got dropped on my head once too. Um, and it was the first time I ever took uh, the Doomsday device, you know, the uh, uh, the Legion of Doom finisher. And, uh, you know, I just – I expected it to be like you see, you know, like everybody do, like they – you take the clothesline, you basically kind of do a backflip, and then you, like, land on your stomach or your knees, whatever, you know, and you're fine. Uh, but for whatever reason, I don't know, the momentum from the guy who gave it to me just carried me straight down, like, right on my head, and I landed basically all my weight on my um, on my head, you know. And so, man, I mean, I'm just lucky that I didn't get paralyzed or something because it was a really bad – it looked really bad, you know, from what the guy told me in the back. And, you know, thankfully that was the finish, you know. So after that, um, the match is over. I didn't, I didn't have to go on and do any other moves. 
or else that could have been bad too. But, you know, I was able to roll out of the ring and walk fine. I didn't feel anything like initially, but the next day, yeah, I was, I was really feeling it. And, um, yeah, kind of funny, funny story too. The next day I was supposed to take my, uh, my nephew to a Slipknot concert because that was his favorite band. And so, um, yeah, so <laughs> not a very good thing to go headbanging uh, right after you get dropped on your head the night before um, to a concert like that. And let's just say I didn't really do much headbanging that night. I was kind of just standing there while everyone's rocking out. I didn't. I kind of looked like a sore thumb there just sticking out. But um, I wasn't about to, you know, pass out and injure myself from, from headbanging at that concert. I still enjoyed it, but I was not going to, yeah, risk injury to, to just go to that concert. That sounds like a terrible day at the office to be dropped on your head like that. Um, luckily, everything was all right. Yeah, I think it was, you know. Uh, yeah, but it's always scary when someone lands on their head. Speaking mm-hmm. from experience. <laughs> you know the feeling, man. But yeah, I'm I'm familiar with the landing on the head part for sure. <laughs> now, one of the things that doesn't necessarily cause injury, although on rare occasions it can lead to some very very serious things, but the knife edge chop has always been a very popular move with fans. Uh, it usually sparks some interest if the match is going slow you throw the chop and kind of wakes the fans up some people throw chops much 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 harder than others from your experiences who would you say has the hardest knife edge chop That's a good question. Um, I'd probably say for just regular knife edge chops, I'd probably say Adrian Matthews. Um, he's thrown like yeah, just some really vicious chops. You know, probably the most vicious I've you know taken and also seen. Like he's hit guys harder than he's hit me, and I'm like damn, like <laughs> it's a yeah, it makes a really loud smack, and um, you know you can see the pain in the guy's faces, and I and trust me, I've felt the pain too from when he's given them to me. Um, but I'd also throw in Junsu, too, a guy I mentioned earlier. Um, he didn't do knife edges. He actually did the double chop, you know, the double chop to the chest. And, um, man, like, I'm, he did that to me, and my chest almost caved in. And uh, I remember the first time I worked a match with him afterwards, um, my chest was basically, like, black and blue. It was, like, bubbly. It was so His chops were so hard and so vicious that it really, like, did that to my chest. It was purple and black for at least a couple days. So yeah, so regular knife edge, I'd probably say Adrian Matthews, and then uh, the the, uh, the double chop, I got to give it to June too. Sounds like a a pretty big one. You might want to stay away from Tokyo Monster Cahagas because <laughs> I've heard tales where he has collapsed people's lungs on chops. Oh wow! Yeah, I'm good then. I'll I'll stay away from that one. All right, just. No, I'm not saying you shouldn't take the match. I'm just saying you might want to watch the chop. <laughs> yeah. Just duck out of the way. I'll, I'll do my best to duck out. Ooh, he hates that. He absolutely hates when people do that. They get you harder. Right, right. One of the more overlooked and underappreciated jobs in the pro wrestling industry is that of the ring announcer 
usually the ring announcer, rightly or wrongly, is who the fans see as the authority figure on a show. They think the ring announcer usually has the power to uh, overturn referee decisions and find people and so forth, even if that's not what the actual situation is. Uh, They're the face of the company. They are the ones that communicate all the information that fans need, uh, where to buy tickets, when and where the next shows will be, how to find the merchandise. All of that important information comes from your ring announcer. It's very vital for a good promotion to have one, and not all promotions understand or respect that. I know you've probably come across some pretty good ring announcers in your day, though. Who would you say are some of the better ones that you've worked with so far? Yeah, first and foremost, i got a shout-out uh, to Dan Geyer. Um, I don't know if you ever heard that name, but he used to work for uh, WLW um, when I was out there. And he was, yeah, he was always involved as the ring announcer, um, you know, timekeeper. So he was, you know, kind of the dual purpose, but... Um, he was a, he had a great voice, man. Like he had a really great voice um, for the business, and you know people loved Dan. People always knew they'd see Dan at those shows, and he would always you know provide the right accurate information, you know introduce everybody correctly, and um, you know just a really solid guy just outside of the business as well. So uh, a good friend of mine still to this day, and um, so yeah, I got to give props to Dan. Um, aside from that, there was a really great guy at um, at New Era Wrestling here in Colorado. Um, he's no longer there, but his name was uh, Drew Still, and uh, he's a good buddy of mine too. But man, uh, you know, for voices, you know, he's at the top of the list too. You know, he has just a really distinguishable, really loud voice, and so um, he did a great job as a ring announcer. Um, he was also did some commentary for New Era as well. So, so yeah, he was a really great hand when he was here. Um, he moved away from the area, so um, he's no longer with New Era, but but he was definitely um, you know a great part of the show and. You know, once you – he would just kind of get you amped, you know. He's the kind of guy that would get you amped when you introduced your name. So so he added a lot, not just to, you know, the fan aspect, but also to us workers in the back, you know, just getting us amped up for the show too. So um, so great guy, Drew Still. Um, Ken Hamlin out there and for NWP, you know, he did a great job too, um, always keeping things uh, flowing the way they should be, always, you know, showed up and always did a great job for NWP. And so – yeah, I got to give credit to Ken too, and those are probably, I guess, the top three I would say. A lot of the other companies I worked for, they kind of had, you know, people come in and out, so there was never really like, you know, um, each time I come, it seemed like there was a different ring announcer, so there wasn't really, you know, I guess one that I would pinpoint for some of those um, other companies. But um, for the for the times I was there for all those three companies I mentioned, you know, those guys were always the ones there, so uh, so that's why I give those guys kind of the most props. Not a bad list at all. Well, at this time, my co-host QT Vokes is standing by, and he has some questions for you as well. So that does help you as I pass things over to QT. Awesome. Well, thank you, Sun Guy. Hello, Johnny. How's it going? Uh, it's going pretty good. Um, Johnny, I saw your YouTube video entitled johnny proof versus crazy steve and this was posted uh to youtube on or about august 15th 2017 
Does it seem like this match was almost four years ago for you? Jeez, man, now that you, now that you bring that up, no. <laughs> I hadn't really thought about that. But, um, but no, I mean, a lot of these experiences I've had, I look back and, you know, think about it. And, yeah, it's just hard to believe that it's been that long that they happened. You know, it seems like yesterday. So, so yeah, it's uh, it's hard to believe four years ago. But, um, you know, when you look back, you're like, yeah, that's, I guess it was four years ago. You kind of have to remind yourself of that of that moment in time and how long ago it actually was. That was in the pre-COVID era. Yes, pre-COVID. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, so yes. a lot of things, things for me happened pre-COVID, you know, so I'm um, post-COVID, who knows? But, yeah, like, you know, a lot of those things did take place, a lot of great matches I had before COVID hit, you know, and I was having some good momentum. So, it was, you know, it's kind of, it was disappointing that COVID happened, but, you know, it is what it is, you know, and you just have to kind of start over. Had you met uh, Crazy Steve in the ring before this, or was this your first meeting? Uh, yeah, that was actually my first meeting with him. Um, never met the guy before in my life. Uh, I was working for New Era uh, Wrestling at the time here in Denver, and, um, you know, they wanted to bring in some, some outside talents and, you know, some bigger names, and so um, they brought in Crazy Steve, and they said, hey, we want to put you against Crazy Steve, and I was really excited about the opportunity. You know, I know he had been doing some big things um, with Impact at the time, and so so I was really excited to work with him. And he's a good dude, man. He's a really good guy, solid worker. Um, I think you, you guys might know this, but he's I think legally blind. Um, so it's kind of it's kind of you know it's a marvel that he's able to do what he does. Um, you know, having not full eyesight. You know, so um, I give him even more props uh, for that. But, um, but yeah, he was a really good, solid worker, and we had a good match. I'm I'm sorry, Johnny. Did you say legally blonde or legally blind? <laughs> he does like to be legally blonde. He did tell me that, but he is legally blind as well. Oh, okay. All right. Well, <laughs> you don't meet uh, too many wrestlers in the ring with face paint. Uh, um, he seems crazy. Steve to had some face paint on him. If I if I saw him with my eyes right, correct. Yeah, you got that right. He does a he does a great job with his paint too, man. You know, it's uh, I think the last time I saw him recently, um, it was even more you know um, extravagant than it was when I faced him. So, so I don't know if he has his own you know makeup artist or if he does it himself or what. But it's uh, yeah, it really looks great the different looks he puts together. Now, can you imagine being in the rock group Kiss uh, like Gene Simmons and having to put on face paint for thirty five years? Oh man, no, I, I honestly couldn't, you know. And face paint's cool. Like, I, not something I ever did, but I had a really good close friend of mine um, who worked out at WLW at Harley's, and um, him and his tag team partner, they were the Doomsayers, um, and they would they would paint themselves up, you know, before every show, and it was really like intricate paint jobs, you know. He was an artist, so he it was nothing to him. He loved it and he enjoyed it. But yeah, I mean, to me, it's just like you gotta you got to do that at least like two hours ahead of the show just to make sure you have enough time to do it. And uh, to me, I don't know if I have that, you know, to do it myself, but, but yeah, if you love it, you love it. You know, it's something that's part of your makeup and you just have to do it. So we got props to those guys who are just really great artists like that. Now, don't get me wrong. After Ace Freely and Peter Chris uh, left Kiss uh, in 1981, they became unmasked and they didn't have to put on the face paint anymore but they went through a terrible time where they produced the album, The Elder. <laughs> Maybe that when they lost their face paint, they lost their mojo. Would you agree to this? You know, I think there's something to that, you know, um, not just for, 
the band members themselves, maybe they feel like they've lost some luster, you know, maybe it doesn't lead to better songwriting. Um, but I think also to the fans, it matters, you know, like if you, if you're used to seeing somebody in face paint for so long, that's what you expect, you know, like you don't expect to go to a show and for them to be just looking like normal people, you know, you want the whole show, you want that, um, that extra little, um, you know, um, gimmick, I guess that they give you. So to be without that, it's, uh, it takes away, you know, it does take away from it. So I could see, you know, why they lost a lot of their luster when they did that, because, you know, fans probably weren't as excited to see him, you know, without their face paint. They're not used to that. They want to see Kiss the way they remember Kiss. Well, you know, when you lose Ace Frehley as guitarist, you know, there there goes a major talent. You know, he's the one that wrote the song Cold Gin. Cold Gin, yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I see, like, I don't know if you guys remember, like, when Ultimate Warrior, like, he used to paint his, like, just sometimes he'd paint, like, the small little warrior symbol symbol on his face, and it wouldn't be the full, you know, um, the full gimmick he would normally do. And when he did that, like, for me, anyway, like, it just, it didn't feel the same, you know, it didn't seem right. It's like, well, that's not the warrior I'm used to seeing, you know, like, I want the full face paint. I want, I don't want just these little mini warriors, you know, signs all over your face. I want the big, big, you know, the big one that we're used to seeing that covers your whole face, so... So, yeah, I think there is something to that, you know, when you try to switch up the paint a little bit or just do something different or do not do it at all, it does take away from your mystique a little bit. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. Well, Johnny, in your match with Crazy Steve, at the three-minute mark of the match, Johnny stood on a turnbuckle while facing you, and you had your back in the corner, and he asked the crowd, do you want me to bite his face off? Well, Johnny, at this point, did you believe Steve was high on bath salts? I do question that, you know. Um, he seemed like he was a little bit out there before the match, I won't lie. So I didn't know exactly what he was on. But he had to be on something to think of that. And he must know our, he must know those New Era fans because, man, those New Era fans just didn't like me. And so he, uh, he, was, he played to them well, you know. And, they, of course, they, had, they cheered him on to do that, which was, you know, very typical of them to do. So... So when he asked that question, I already knew the answer, and I already knew that I was in trouble. So, so yeah, I don't, I was very, very upset after that. Yeah, I think he bit you on the forehead, if I'm not mistaken, from my video analysis. Yep, I still got a little bit of an indention on my head too from that. So, I always, I could always point that out and you know recall that that horrible memory. Wow, okay. Now, uh, it was a little bit hard in my video analysis of that match to kind of pinpoint what weight uh, Steve was at. Do you believe he was like a super middleweight in boxing or at 175 pounds or maybe a light heavyweight at 176 pounds? I mean, uh, 170 to 175 pounds for super middleweight? or a light heavyweight, which is 176 and above? What was he at? Well, I'd say he's probably, yeah, 175 and below. Um, in great shape, though, you know. like It wasn't like he wasn't in shape or nothing like that. But, yeah, he's he's a smaller guy. I can't remember exactly how tall he was. But I remember, you know, being, you know, um, a, a good amount of heights above him. So I'd say he's probably, if I had to guess his height, I'd probably say maybe like, you know, 5'8" maybe 5'9", but um, but yeah, 5'8", 5'9", at 175, and he's, you know, pretty stacked dude, and so I wouldn't put him past that, though, you know, I'd say he's, I think max 175, but probably more like 170. 
Okay. So kind of like at the super middleweight in boxing. Okay. Very good. Yeah. All right. Well, Johnny, did you play baseball in high school? And if so, what position? I'm going to guess second base. Ooh, close. Good guess. But no, I did play. Um, I played first base, so that was always my uh, my position. Um, I grew up in a small town called Rocky Ford, so we, uh, you know, we had about 3,000 people there total. Um, but when I grew up, you know, younger in my younger years, um, I had hit a like a really good growth spurt, like in my middle school years, and so I was towering above everybody at that time. You know, there wasn't a lot of people that were tall in Rocky Ford, um, and so it's kind of funny to look back at some of those pictures too, because I look like I'm, you know, one of the coaches, and all the other guys are just, you know, the little <laughs> little kids still. But um, yeah, I was close to six feet tall, like, you know, in, around the middle school age. And so, uh, so yeah, I was always, you know, um, baseball was always something I was good at back then because I was just always, you know, so much bigger and I had so much more power than other kids at that time. And so, yeah, and so I don't know, they, I guess coaches, you know, um, like my ability to kind of dig out the, um, the balls at first base, you know, when they come skipping from the shortstop or third baseman, you know, um, I was pretty good at you know, scooping the balls like that. So, um, so they put me at first and kept me there, you know, and um, I did pretty well staying there. What did you have in high school? Oh, man, that's a good question. That's a long time ago, too. It's a hard it's a hard memory to think of that now. I honestly have no clue. Um, triples probably weren't my main thing. Um, I, I, of course, probably had more doubles and triples, but uh, I'd have, I don't know if I had to guess. I'd probably say throughout my whole high school career, I might have had maybe like six triples. Okay, six. Very good. All right. Did you ever hit for the cycle? I got close. I really did. I was really wanting it, too. Um, and I didn't need a triple for it. I needed a double, actually, but I didn't get it. Um, it was one of my last games in high school, so I do remember that um, that memory. But, um, yeah, one of my last games, I, had, I, I let off, you know, with the home run, um, had the triple the next time around. Uh, single was my third at bat, and then I had one chance, you know, um, to get a double, but um, I ended up not. I ended up flying out. So, unfortunately, I never got that cycle, but it was, it was close, and I wanted it. Okay, all right. Well, Johnny, you went to the Harley Race Academy. Harley Race was known to be uh, a very tough person, one of the tougher uh, wrestlers in wrestling history. Other wrestlers with tough guy reputations are Paul Orendorf, Steve Blackman, Antonio Inoki, Carl Gotch, Bobby Lashley, Brock Lesnar, Dan Severn, and and one of one of the probably toughest and very rarely tested Haku, who even ha- who even Andre the Giant respected and feared. How do you think Haku would have done at your at the academy you went to? <laughs> oh man, if I, if Haku was a student when I was a student, I probably would have quit wrestling because I'm sure he would have beat the hell out of me um, pretty easily, you know. <laughs> um, but no, I mean that would have been tremendous to work with a guy like that because there was you know there were some good tough guys there too. Um, you know, at the time we had uh, Trevor Murdoch who was a tag team champion um, in WWE at the time. You know, he'd come down still. He came from Harley's and. He's one of the tougher guys still in this business, you know, like he's doing really great still. And, um, you know, he, he comes from the Harley school, so he knows, he knows that toughness, you know, like he, he, he took that away big time, you know, from his training and from talking to Harley, him and Harley were extremely close. And so, you know, I definitely would put, um, 
you know, Trevor along those same lines. I'm not saying he's Haku because there's very few people on this earth that are Haku. But, um, you know, as far as that same mentality goes, like, you know, Trevor definitely had that. And so that transitioned to a lot of us guys down there, you know, like we sometimes a lot of guys, you know, just were pushed to their limit and don't, didn't want to keep going. But Trevor was that voice in there, man. He'd come down on his days off, you know, from being on the road and he would help us guys train and instill that same mentality, you know, that Harley instilled in him. And so, um, so yeah, ton of respect for, for Trevor um, as, as both a tough guy and also a, a great mentor. Oh, okay. All right. Well, Johnny, what if you could travel back in time to the mid-60s, or or actually early 60s, when Nolan Ryan was a 13-year-old, and he already, at at the the age of 13 in Little League, he already had a 94-mile-per-hour fastball, and sometimes they would come in chin high. How would you have done as a 13-year-old against a 13-year-old Nolan Ryan with a 94-mile-an-hour fastball? Well, I tell you what, he tried to throw up at me, and I'm coming at him a lot harder than Robin Ventura did, that's for sure. Oh, okay. Yes, Robin <laughs> Ventura. He <laughs> Nolan Ryan sidestepped him and got him in a headlock, yes, and threw him <laughs> to the ground. Yeah, which yes. tells me that... You know, Nolan probably could have handled himself in the ring pretty good too, the way he slapped that headlock on, you know. So, um, yeah, yeah, but that was that was definitely a crazy moment in baseball. But man, I do I do remember being, you know, um, in high school, you know, so a little bit past the thirteen year old age. But um, there was a school um, out here in Colorado, a little small town called Lamar that we would play, and man, they had a lot of great prospects, major league prospects, come up from there, um, pitching wise, and um, you know, there was a guy named uh, Scott Ellerton that came from there. I don't know if you guys recall Scott Ellerton, but he was a major league pitcher. Um, and, oh, man, I can't remember the other guy's name. There was another guy who was a prospect. We actually got to face him, you know, one time. And, like, everybody on the team was just basically just, you know, shaking at the knees because <laughs> this guy had, you know, he had some high heat. And he had, I think, you know, his tops was maybe like 97, maybe 98. So, so yeah, we uh, we had to face you know against a guy who was a major league prospect, and it was it was pretty intimidating to be quite honest. And um, you know, I, thankfully I did hit the ball, but I didn't <laughs> I didn't get a hit off of him. But I can at least say you know I I hit the ball off of a, a major league prospect, so that was kind of cool. Oh, very good. Okay, all right. Well, Johnny, in your match with Crazy Steve, do you recall if Crazy Steve had entrance music? Uh, if I remember right, he did. I don't recall what it was, but, um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's something that, you know, even if he did, I'm sure we would probably have something for him because it just gets the crowds, you know, way more into it. But, um, yeah, I honestly don't remember. Uh, I might have to actually go back and watch the video to see if it's on there or not. Oh, okay. I only ask if, if, if crazy Steve had entrance music, because do you remember, uh, when Beavis and Butthead would review bands on their couch. They'd listen to them, and then they'd say if they sucked or not. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. I love me some Beavis and Butthead. Do you remember when they were listening to Pantera, and I think it was Beavis said, don't be a crybaby, Pantera. Go out and mow the lawn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't remember that. That's pretty funny, though. It's kind of funny because oh, you okay. say Pantera, but, uh, my, uh, one of my high school uh, gym coaches he used to call me uh, Pantera because, you know, my last name does sound kind of like Pantera, Pantoya, but he uh, 
he would always call me Johnny Pantera. So, um, so that was kind of my nickname from him in middle school. Did you know that the Southern rock group Leonard Skinner got their name from their, I think it was junior high school gym coach who was named Leonard Skinner? I didn't know that. But I have seen Leonard Skinner perform live, though, and that was a great show. So, so there's something, I guess. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. Very good. Okay. Yeah, without well, your, Johnny, uh, you've never been to the venue of Red Rocks Amphitheater in Colorado, you need to check a show out there because it's the best place, for my money, to see a show anywhere, really. It's just a beautiful outdoor venue um, in the rocks, you know, in the mountains. And it's, uh, yeah, if you haven't seen it or, you know, um, been there, look it up, and you'll you'll want to come down to Colorado and check out a show there. Did you ever see the rock, the Canadian rock group Rush at the amphitheater, Red Rocks? I did not. No, never got to see Rush there. Um, I believe they performed there, but I don't. Yeah, I was I was never able to see them there. But I've been to plenty of shows there, and they've been all you know fantastic. Yes. How do how do you think uh, their drummer could have done, been as a wrestler, the drummer, before he passed away? Well, with those hands, you know, I think that. He have a he'd have a good shot of being a boxer too, you know. But uh, he probably could be able to handle his own in the ring too, you know. Um, I'm a drummer myself, and it does help to have that speed. So, so yeah, I think he'd be able to handle his own, you know. God rest his soul. Wow. Okay. I I didn't know you were a drummer. Have you ever gone on YouTube and look up Buddy Rich versus Animal uh, drum battle? I have not, but you're you got me intrigued. I think I might have to do that. Oh, okay. This happened on the Muppet Show, and the great drummer, who sometimes considered the greatest of all time, Buddy Rich, mm-hmm. does battle with with Animal of Doctor Teeth and the Electric Mayhem. Nice. I'm gonna have to check that out. I bet that's pretty pretty <laughs> cool. Pretty cool video. <laughs> I only say this because Crazy Steve kind of reminded me of Animal. That's what I'm getting at. Ah, okay. Now we come full circle. Okay. <laughs> yes. It's a good comparison, though, you know? Yeah, he's pretty wild in that way, too. Yes. Okay. Well, uh, Johnny, it was good talking with you, and at this time, I'm going to turn it back over to Sign Guy because i got to get to my straight job. Yes. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it, QT. Good talking to you, good meeting with you, and I uh, appreciate the questions. Yes, and uh, report back to Sign Guy what you think about Animal versus Buddy Rich. Sign guy would like you to know it. that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Back to you, sign guy. Thank you, QT. Well, Johnny, as a drummer, did you ever delve into making either your own entrance music or doing custom entrance music for other wrestlers as sort of a side income? Wow, you know, that's a good idea. Um, I did kind of consider, you know, I've come up with, uh, actually play guitar too, so I've come up with some, like, you know, original riffs that I've done, um, which I've thought about doing, you know, maybe as some entrance music, but honestly, I don't have the, um, you know, the recording equipment to do that, you know, it, it would definitely not be high quality, so um, I guess I never really, you know, got too serious about it, or else I could have tried to get, you know, some equipment or talk to some kind of, you know, music producer or something like that, but um you know, that's not a bad idea, you know. I mean, that's kind of something that's lost, a lost art, I think, you know, is um, is creating music for guys, you know, just original stuff. Because everyone, of course, comes out to, you know, their their favorite band or something like that on the indie shows. But when you get to certain levels, you can't do that anymore. And so, 
you know, it might be something to think about for the future because, you know, I have kind of been enjoying playing music lately a lot too in this in this pandemic times, you know, just picking up the guitar, you know, sitting at the drums and coming up with some stuff. So, so yeah, it might be a, something to explore in the future. So that's a good thought. No, the larger promotions usually have a music department just for that purpose. So it's definitely something that even on an independent level could get you some steady work that way. Yeah, exactly, you know, and you just never know how things are going to hit, you know. Um, I I was watching, um, I'm a big basketball guy too, so I was watching Inside the NBA um, a few nights ago, I think it was, and um, their guest that night was the guy who had come up with a theme for for Inside the NBA, you know, and that's been like a lasting theme for many, many years now. And, you know, he was a professional musician. Um, I can't remember the band he was in, um, but they had a big hit, you know, at least at least one big hit back in the 80s. And uh, so, yeah, like he made that, he came up with that song for Inside the NBA, and it's, you know, it's stood the test of time. And it's something that basketball fans associate with the show, and they know how it goes, you know. So, um, so yeah, you never know. Like there's always a chance to, to be that kind of person to come up with something unique uh, musically and have it, you know, stand the test of time. Speaking of the NBA, we have seen over the last 25 years several members of the NBA sort of dip their toe into the wrestling waters. People like Carl Malone, Dennis Rodman, Shaquille O'Neal have all had at least one professional wrestling match, in some cases more than that. Yep. Who do you think has been the most successful person to transition from the NBA into professional wrestling? Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. You'd have to put Shaq up there for sure. Um, but, I mean, if you're talking about, I guess, more of, like, you know, impact, uh, maybe, like, the more, um, you know, pop culture type of impact, I'd probably say Dennis Rodman, you know, because uh, at the time, you know, the Bulls were on top of the world, you know, and he was a part of that dynasty. And, you know, you know, at the time, the NWO was exploding, you know. They were the biggest thing in pro wrestling. So you're combining, you know, the one of the biggest personalities from the best team in the NBA to, you know, the biggest quote-unquote team in professional wrestling at the time, the NWO. And I just think that that, you know, was, um, you know, kind of like a match made in heaven. You know, they were they were a perfect fit for each other. And um, you got more eyes on, you know, basketball, got more eyes on wrestling. So... I have to say, yeah, Dennis the Worm Rodman had to be the biggest impact for sure. He did skip out on a finals practice to attend Monday Nitro. Exactly. And he held himself okay in the ring. Of course, he wasn't, you know, like anybody from the NBA coming over to wrestling isn't going to be <laughs> the absolute, you know, best thing you've ever seen in the ring. But, you know, him and Malone, they did a decent job, you know, putting on the show. So you got to give him credit there. But Shaq has also handled his own pretty well, too, you know, and um, you know, I think there's still there's still some chances for Shaq to still get back in the ring, it looks like, with, you know, AEW. And who knows who the next guy will be, you know. Maybe I don't know if there's any guys in the NBA now who are, you know, big uh, pro wrestling fans. I'm sure there are, you know, but it's just uh, dependent on, I guess, who they are, how, how big of a star they are, and, you know, maybe they can make that transition too. LeBron James is a noted wrestling fan. I'll just throw that out there. Yeah, I was about to say, it'd be cool to see LeBron, you know, do that. But, um, you know, after all his 
all the longevity he's had and all the mileage he's put on his body, who knows if he's going to want to, you know, put put that kind of wear and tear on himself after his NBA days are over, you know, because I'm sure he's definitely not going to do it while he's still playing. He has only a few years left, you know, so he wants to make sure that he's he's in basketball shape for at least the rest of his uh, on-court career. And after that, you never know, but it might be he might be done at that point, putting his body through all that mess. Very, very true point. Now, we uh, talked earlier about one of our co-hosts, J.B. Moonshine. We have also added another co-host to the show in the last year, someone you have, I'm 99% sure, shared a ring with in your time at Northwest Pro, that being Randy Zellers. He recently won Northwest Pro's Best of the Northwest Tournament. He's the proud trophy holder of that. And then just last week, he defeated J.D. Mason to become Northwest Pro's Washington State champion. What do you think of Randy Zellers, and where do you see his progress from when you last were on a show with him to where he is at now? I got to tell you, man, I'm really proud of Randy and the success he's had lately. You know, um, I've been keeping a course up with what's what's going on with NWP, and um, I did see that he, um, you know, has had those accolades. You know, um, he earned those accolades recently, and so. I was really proud of him, man, you know, and um proud to say that I stepped in the ring with him. And, you know, we had some great battles, you know. Um, I think we worked together a total of three times, if I remember right. And it was always a great match with Randy, you know. we, um, Him and I just have, have a good chemistry in the ring, and, you know, we just um, we go at each other, you know. We just don't, we just don't, um, we don't take it easy on each other, that's for sure. But, um, yeah, I'm just really proud of him, the, the progress he's made. I think, you know, he just, his attitude is the way it needs to be, you know, like he's, he's always a guy that's positive, you know, um, you, every time you come around him, he's always trying to make people laugh. He's always just smiling. Uh, you rarely catch Randy in a bad mood. And, um, you know, I just, I love calling him a friend, you know, outside of the ring and, uh, just wish nothing for the best, uh, for him in the future. And I think, you know, as long as he keeps putting in the work and, uh, getting himself out there, you know, um, you never know what could happen for him, you know, the sky's the limit. For sure, he's doing some great, great things recently. Well, yeah. we're down to the last few minutes of the show today, and I want to make sure you chance if there's anything that you want to say to the listeners today, plug and promote anything and everything you got, social medias, merchandise, any upcoming appearances, your favorite laundromat, anything at all, the floor is all yours. <laughs> well, I appreciate it, fine guy. Uh, thanks again for having me on. It's been a blast. Um, Hopefully we could do this again in the future sometime. But, um, yeah, I mean, nothing for myself personally to plug, really. You know, uh, I'm still kind of on hiatus mode. Uh, unfortunately, I just, you know, my family and I did get um, COVID recently. So we are still being really cautious in these times. Um, you know, I'm probably not going to be back in the ring anytime soon. Um, I was hitting the re- uh, the weights pretty good there for a while, um, you know, getting kind of back into shape and, then, you know, we got hit with COVID, and I kind of put a stop to everything again. So I'm going to have to kind of, you know, regain that momentum again. Uh, but, yeah, that's the, kind of the step one. You know, let's get myself into, back into shape I'm comfortable being. And, that, you know, I'm, I'm you know, proud to be in to get back in the ring. Uh, but you never know. There's a lot of great companies here in Colorado that, you know, I will plug um, right now. Um, New Era Wrestling, who I mentioned earlier, they're not back to running shows yet. But from what I've been told, they're they're very close. 
but there are a few companies that are running out here. Um, Lucha Libre and Laugh is a really great show. Um, it involves pro wrestling and also comedy. So they have, you know, a mix of matches and also comedians. Um, really, really cool concept. And uh, they bring in a lot of great talent, you know. So um, heard of them, come up, maybe check out a show if you're in Colorado. And there's also um, a company called CSW who's out of Colorado Springs. They also do a lot of great shows down in that area. Uh, they're a growing company, and um, you know, they have a lot of great guys who I've uh, worked with before. They work for the company. And then also um, there's a company called uh, Rocky Mountain Pro out here who's been doing some big things. Um, they just recently had, like, I think their anniversary show. So a lot of a lot of really great shows coming out around Colorado. There's also Primo's, um, which is making a comeback, I believe. So, yeah, there's, you know, at least, you know, four really great companies here in Colorado um, that people should start being more aware of. And, you know, if I have a goal in mind for the future, my, my goal is to kind of, you know, just make Colorado more of a hub, you know, um, for guys to come and work and guys to – you know, kind of make a name out of themselves from, you know, that's, it doesn't seem to be the case in the, in the past. And there's just a ton of great talent out here that's come through here that's, you know, um, grown from here. And I think it's about time that, you know, people recognize Colorado has a really great crop of uh, not just promotions, but talent. And hopefully, you know, the talents and the, and the promotions will start working together a lot more because that's always kind of been the thing in the past is, you know, people, just getting upset with each other for, you know, of course that happens everywhere, but you know, that's just, you know, been the main thing that I think has killed a lot of momentum about Colorado wrestling. And so hopefully in the future that can kind of, um, you know, be an old story and we can kind of push forward and bring Colorado to more prominence. Well, Johnny Proof, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the show today. We will definitely have to do this again sometime very soon. And hopefully our paths will cross once again at some point in the not-too-distant future. And best of luck as you continue to get healthy, get back in shape, and hopefully we will see you in a ring fairly soon. Thank you so much, Sun Guy. It was really awesome talking to you again. And, um, yeah, it's always been great to work shows with you, man, and hopefully, you know, one day we'll be crossing paths again, and hopefully not in the distant future. So best to you until then, and keep doing what you're doing, and I uh, appreciate you again for having me on the show. Definitely our pleasure to have you. Fans, if you have not seen Johnny Proof, you need to rectify that. Jump on the YouTubes. Lots of great matches of his are up there. So get on there. Watch what he does. He's a great performer. Once he gets back, if you're near him, go buy a ticket. You won't be disappointed. He gives a solid effort every time out there. You will definitely be entertained, so support him and what he does. We will be back with you Sunday afternoon. Independence Day, we will have Dalton Davis out of the great state of Indiana, a man I once danced the tango with at the Outlaw Arena. That actually really did happen, and then we will be back with you next week as well, so make sure you join us, and next Friday afternoon, our guest just happens to be MRT, Jackson or I'm sorry, Jackson Bourne and his manager, John Davidson. They are out of the state of Washington, so make sure you are here for that and everyone continue to be safe out there. Please don't light the state of Washington on fire again like last year, and we will talk to you on Sunday afternoon.